Hi everyone, and welcome back to Risk and Regulation Rundown. I'm your regular host, Andrew Strange, and today we're talking about the PRA's business plan. Joining me are two expert guests. Connor McManus is a director in our FS Regulatory Insights team, and Stephanie Henderson-Begg is a director in our Banking Prudential team. Today we're going to focus on what the business plan means for the banking sector, and then we'll talk about the insurance prudential reform and the PRA's approach to insurers in next month's episode. So, the PRA published its business plan in April, setting out an ambitious agenda. Connor, do you want to just start by setting the scene for us in terms of some of the wider context for the plan, and then take us through some of the PRA's key priorities? Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. Uh, Thanks very much. I mean, so, you know, clearly it's a very challenging economic uh, climate at the moment, so it's an important period for all economic policy makers, including the PRA. But I think it's... uh, you know, particularly pronounced for, for the regulators at the moment, and including the PRA. And, you know, the agenda that they've set out in the business plan is, is really very ambitious. I think, you know, the PRA has been around since 2013, and I'd argue this is perhaps the most ambitious business plan we've, we've seen from them. And there's a, a number of reasons for that. Um, they're going to be getting new powers uh, under the future regulatory framework uh, that the government's proposing. That's quite a big deal. They need to think about that. There's a very significant piece of regulation coming down the track, Basel 3.1, which they'll be consulting on uh, in Q4 of this year. And there is a number of new things that they're going to be focusing on. So um, digitalization, uh, DNI, things which they've been talking about for, for a number of years, but I think they're going to progress from a, from a policymaking perspective. And then there's just a huge amount of supervisory activity and priorities Uh, that they all need to follow through on. So, for example, embedding climate risk and operational resilience to things that they've they've been consulting on over the past couple of years um, have come into force. I think we'll see those being embedded into business as usual supervision, which I think will take up a lot of time for, for supervisory teams, but also for firms. Okay, and it's clearly been a busy period. So since then, we've also had the Queen's speech, which announced the new financial services and markets bill uh, and confirmed, I think, that the UK regulators will get those new secondary objectives around growth and international competitiveness. How is that likely to shape the PRA's plans and maybe its longer term approach, do you think? Well, that's a really interesting and important question. Um, You know, as you say, it's a a secondary objective. So their primary objectives around safety and soundness will, will take precedent. So I think that's an important point to make. Um, so th- they've said that they are going to be publishing a discussion paper on this at some point this year, setting out their thoughts on on what that new objective will, will mean uh, for them. And I think the Basel 3.1 proposals will be a really interesting test case for this. Um, we've already seen proposals from the EU, which deviate from the rules which were agreed in Basel quite considerably in, in some areas. Um, so there's a question there around, do the, does the PRA stick to what was agreed in Basel or do they respond to, to what the EU's done? We don't know what the US is going to do, for example, and that will be an important factor here. I think the PRA's preference will be to stick to what was uh, agreed in Basel. You know, typically, they're pretty, pretty, pretty in favour of robust prudential standards. Um, and I think that you know, looking over the past couple of years, the way in which the banking sector has stood up to COVID and other, other shocks has really vindicated their their view that building resilience in, in the banking sector has been a really important and good thing to do. And one of their priorities is, is to preserve that that level of resilience. So, so the extent to which they row back from that as a result of the secondary objective, I think is, is probably quite doubtful. 
That's interesting. And I guess we'll probably talk about a similar thing with Solvency 2 when we get to next month and, and the UK's approach there and Divergence too, actually. Yeah, and I, on that, I think there's probably going to be a bit of a difference between the approach they take between insurance and, and banking. I think you know, there's been commitments made already around Solvency 2, which the government has made, which the PRA have been broadly supportive of, whereas I don't think we'll see the same dynamic on in the banking side and the banking stuff obviously starting as an international point exactly. rather than that kind of european exactly. level yeah okay interesting steph and if i can bring you in here so supporting competitive and dynamic markets is one of the pra's four priorities we've also got the additional growth objective uh, and the competitiveness objective we just talked about how do you see the pra taking this forward in terms of its aims for competitive markets and proportionality and how's that going to impact the banking sector I think there's different elements to this. Um, so there's been chatter about the PRA expanding the, the number of jurisdictions that they have memorandums of understanding in place for, for that sort of element around encouraging international expansion into the UK. Um, closer to home, there, there, there's elements in the business plan around uh, reviewing the ring fencing rules. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see what comes out of that. Of course, there's quite a lot of discussion on uh, the strong and simple regime. Uh, and we've seen the first CP of, of a series uh, uh, come out. Um, so, so it'd be interesting to see how that develops over the next year or two. Um, but, but I think for me, the most interesting element is actually this piece around orderly exit. Um, that comes through in the business plan. And, and we know that there's going to be a consultation paper in the second half of this year. I've certainly seen it coming through uh, in supervision with the firms that I work with. Um, that there's there's now uh, uh, wind down plans in place for all of the new banks that are coming through. Um, those that are, are early in their life cycle have been asked for them, as well, of course, the big banks that are looking at wind down. So I think this is uh, this is one to watch, and and certainly something that that, that we're going to hear more on over the next year. Okay, that's interesting, and certainly uh, orderly exit and wind down something in my sector in asset management we've been thinking about too. I mean, I'm also aware that particularly the FCA also in their business plan talked about um, I suppose orderly market entry so the other half of exit um how are we seeing pra approach authorizations yeah so they, they set up the new banks unit back in 2013 to uh, assist firms that are uh, applying to enter the market um that that's continued but we've seen a bit of a change over the last th last year or so uh, there's been a big revamp of the website there's been some changes in the in the the team that's supervising and there's been this introduction of um, a head of department looking over artists, which is authorizations, uh, reg tech, and... I'm going to go innovation. Innovation. There we go. Uh, as a guess. Um, yeah, so, so, so they're, they're certainly looking at it in a different way now. Um, that, that They haven't uh, shown any indication that they are in any way... Uh, slowing down the number of en new entrants coming through or, or putting extra barriers. And, and in fact, the, the, the narrative is always uh, to the opposite, that they're trying to sort of think about how they can make it easier and uh, more efficient for firms coming through. And it's interesting, we, we, we talked, uh, you weren't here last month, but we talked a little bit about actually some of the sort of public policy objectives versus regulatory objectives that we've seen. And I'm right in thinking that fairly recently there was some commentary around some of those smaller new entrant banks actually perhaps having less robust financial crime type provisions and things like that as well. I'm not sure if I read that somewhere. Uh, I'm less I'm less sure on the financial crime side of things, but certainly uh, things like the strong and simple regime that, that the PRA are discussing are, are very much aimed at those new firms to make it easier 
there being less of a an obstacle in terms of regulation because it is very disproportionate at the moment you know the rules that that the large uh, high street banks have to make uh, meet are the same as the the small ones that and some of the banks i work with have you know 21 members of staff oh wow okay they really are small okay <laughs> interesting so, I mean, one of the other um, PRA priorities was around its own operations. Um, um, and I know, again, from the FCA, you spent a lot of time talking about its own footprint and where it's focusing. So in terms of its own objectives as an organisation itself, what, for the PRA, what are the sort of the issues it's tackling there? And how is it making progress on some of those things that I know our firms are actually, our clients are struggling with? Yeah. I mean, for me, this this was something that I was I was really pleased to see that all of those things that they're asking the firms that they regulate to do, they are actually looking internally and thinking about themselves. So there's points in the business plan around how they're going to help drive their own uh, inclusion and diversity agenda, um, around how they are trying to develop their data and analytics capability to support supervision, around how they're strengthening their governance and how they're strengthening their own internal controls. So, so I, th- I, think, I think that's quite comforting to see that they're applying the same lens as they are to the firms that they regulate. Okay, great. Uh, and the plan also talks about responding to new and emerging risks, such as those resulting from things like digitalisation of financial services. Connor, h- how are you seeing the PRA respond to some of that digital innovation? innovation? Yeah, it's a really interesting topic and, you know, it's a good example of that kind of broadening out of, of focus that we've we've seen from both the PRA and, and the FCA in, in recent years and them kind of really responding to, to innovation and, and change in, in the sector. I, I suppose you could probably characterise the response um, twofold. One is responding to risks as they emerge. So, for example, if you think about crypto, uh, there was a, a recent DSCO letter uh, to the banks on you know the, the prudential treatment of crypto. That's something that's being discussed at the Basel Committee at the moment. And the regulators, perhaps understandably, taking a pretty conservative view on the prudential treatment of <coughs> of crypto um, to to kind of address that that risk that you know is pretty minimal at the moment to the banking sector, but they they clearly think could could grow. The other area is around um, critical third parties. Um, so this, you know, primarily thinking about cloud services, cloud service providers, um, and we're expecting a discussion paper from from the PRA and the Bank of England on on this quite soon around what powers they should have over those critical third parties. Um, so moving away from the the, the the regulatory focus being entirely on the, the banks themselves to you know, probably more oversight from the regulators on firms like cloud service providers. So there's them responding to risks, but then we're also seeing them being more encouraging of innovation in, in other areas. So, for example, um, artificial intelligence and machine learning is a topic that the Bank of England uh, has been looking at and the FCA for, for a number of years. Um, uh, there was a report that came out fairly recently from an industry group that the, the regulators convened. We're expecting a discussion paper from from them at some point this year around the regulatory treatment of AI, which is both them responding to risk, but also them recognising that a that regulatory certainty and a robust regulatory framework is something which encourages firms to, to innovate. So there's a lot going on here. And I think, you know, as I say, broadly, it's around them responding to risks, but also trying to be supportive of innovation. You, you commented there on a lot of kind of discussion papers and consultation papers we're expecting. Have they actually got the bandwidth to deliver all this by the end of the year or soon in some of those cases? Well, it's a big question, isn't it? I mean, you know, there is a lot to do at the moment, both for the PRA and, and the FCA. Um, uh, you know, as I said at the start, I think the regulatory agenda at the moment is as busy as it's, it's ever been. 
Um, uh, and, you know, they, you know, clearly they think they do, um, but it's going to be a challenge. And I mean, and the other thing which, you know, they, they both, I think both regulators recognise is that they'll have to respond to events. And we've seen over recent years, things happen that perhaps they hadn't anticipated, you know, clearly things like COVID or the Russia-Ukraine uh, weren't in any business plans and they've had to respond to that. So, the, you know, we're, we're living through a period where events happen, which I think you know, the regulators and industry have to respond to, and that will have an effect on prioritisation. Okay, I mean, we've talked about some of those key themes then. So turning to some of the specific initiatives in the banking sector, um, one of my personal favourites, Basel 3.1, um, what do we know about the PRA's plans in this space? And I, I know you've touched a little bit already about how this might compare to the approach of some other jurisdictions, but what, what do we know? Yeah, so, um, so, so this was a package which was agreed back in 2017. Um, and originally it was supposed to come into force at the start of this year. It was pushed back at the Basel committee level to the start of, um, 2023 because of, of COVID, but it's pretty clear that none of the major jurisdictions are going to meet that that deadline. Um, so the PRA have committed for a consultation paper in Q4 of, of this year. The EU are discussing their proposals at the moment. Obviously, that that's a process which takes quite a long time. Uh, the US, we haven't seen any proposals or an indication from from the authorities there in terms of when they're going to put the proposals out. Um, so what? So we're expecting. So as I said, we're expecting the consultation at, towards the end of this year. The PRA have said they're aiming for an implementation date of first of January twenty twenty five, which is in in line with the EU. Okay, and in practical terms for banks, how do we see this impacting their strategy and business models? Significantly, I think, is the, the, the short answer. I mean, so this started off as a kind of finalisation of, of Basel III. That's how the, the regulators like to describe it. Industry describes it as Basel IV because they see it as a more fundamental yeah. change. And we haven't quite met in the middle, but we've, we've ended up in Basel 3.1 as the term that's, that's usually used now. Um, so it was really designed as a way of addressing the variability in risk weights that we, we saw coming out of the bank's in, internal models. Um, but the, the outcome of the package is something pretty fundamental, actually, an overhaul of credit risk framework, operational risk framework, market risk framework through the fundamental review of the trading book. Um, and then perhaps most controversially, the introduction of a, an output floor, which puts um, a floor on the risk weights that uh, internal models can produce as a percentage of the standardized approach. So we're looking at, you know, reasonably significant increases of in, in capital requirements for, for a number of different banks with different business models. You know, that inevitably has a uh, an, an impact on profitability, on product mix that banks will have to think about. Um, you know, as always, there's a big data element to the package which firms will need to to respond to, and then additional reporting requirements as as a consequence. And you know, regulatory reporting, as we know, is something that the banks have have struggled with over a number of years now. You know, that that challenge is going to get even more complicated with the introduction of Basel 3.1. Yeah, not not just banks, I think, would be fair to say not in terms of reporting. But yes, I know I agree entirely. Uh, and if we turn then to the supervisory priorities, one of the biggest areas of focus for the PRA at the moment is around governance and risk management. Connor, do you just want to talk us through some of the, some of the uh, comments from the regulator, where they're concerned, how they're addressing issues they're seeing there? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, clearly governance and risk management will have, have always been priorities for, for the PRA. But I think... Um, you know, what we've seen is them responding to events such as the failure of Archegos and the impact that that had on some of the international banks in particular that they supervise. 
Um, and them looking at, I suppose, what they would describe as risk culture in firms. And, you know, there was a very strongly worded letter, dear CEO letter, that went out to, to the banks uh, towards the end of last year on this, with the PRA basically saying, we don't think you've learned the lessons properly of the financial crisis, which was a pretty, you know, pretty forceful thing for them for them to say. Um, so firms have had to respond to that already, but I think we'll see a lot of supervisory activity in this space, really questioning, you know, risk management capability, risk, and this concept of risk culture, and the extent to which um, uh, senior management in in banks are really focused on risk management and taking accountability for that um, for risk management, and that's where we see the link with the senior managers regime, with the remuneration regime. The PRA really saying you are accountable for driving this as, as senior managers uh, in the firms. So I think we'll see a lot of this from supervisory teams. It's in the public sphere that there have been a number of Section 166s on, in this space recently. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more of that. Yeah, do you know, it's, it's always interests me that it's such a big focus of the regulator, but there isn't like a specific process or a set of rules around risk and governance itself so I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if that's that's something that emerges over over coming years uh, and Steph I mean so we've heard some of the theory behind what we think the regulator's doing what what are you actually feeling and seeing with your clients on the shop floor in terms of supervisory approach in the PRA yeah so th- I think there's two things that are really interesting for me uh, so one is there's there's definitely uh, mutterings amongst our clients but also directly from the regulators around how they're looking more uh, to third parties uh, for for, for uh, conducting what would have previously been done by supervision. Now, sometimes that's in very formal Section 166 activity. Uh, sometimes that's through uh, alternative tools like the uh, internal audit thematics that, that is run out of the UK deposits uh, uh, area at the bank, uh, at the PRA. Um, but but we're hearing from supervision and from uh, firms that just generally they are looking more to ask for third parties to look at um, particular areas uh, that that they might not have done a deep dive on themselves. So I, th- I think that's that's certainly uh, quite a step change and, and one that we can expect to see continue. Um, the the other one that I think we're on the cusp of it relates back to this orderly exit point, which. Um, uh, I've heard I've heard mutterings uh, fr- from supervision around how potentially if you can focus more on is there a good recovery plan, is there a good exit plan, then it might mean that they can step back a little bit from some of the more day-to-day supervisory activities that they've typically done. Um, so that's that's one to watch. That's interesting. And if I compare that to the FCA, where where they're moving to more of a an outcomes-focused regime, again, there's that kind of, you know, what, what's the outcome rather than necessarily the detail of how you got there. So, yeah, interesting. Exactly. And it links in really nicely to this competition piece around letting markets take care of themselves by entering an exit, as, as, as markets do. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, well, thank you both. That was a, a really interesting discussion. I mean, to wrap up, it would be great to get both of your views on, on I suppose, practical steps that firms who are listening into this should be taking off the back of that plan. What should they be focused on in, in coming months? And I'm going to come to you first, Steph. Um, so I think from my perspective, it's um, uh, doing what you probably should be doing for day-to-day business anyway, making sure that your, your your governance structures, your risk management frameworks are appropriate for the business that you have, um, looking at that regulatory horizon scanning and thinking about, well, how does that impact our, our strategy, our, our stress tests and, uh, and our risk appetite? Um, and and if you haven't got it yet, that one eye on orderly exit and, and, and thinking about what you might need to, to start doing over coming months to get ready for that impending regime. 
Great, thank you. And Connor, what are your views? Well, yeah, I would agree with Steph. I mean, the only thing I would add is, you know, try and stay ahead of the agenda. It's, it's, it's you know, it's difficult. There's a lot to do. Um, there are many other challenges other than regulation that, that firms are, are dealing with. But, you know, we have a pretty good sense of what the PRA's priorities are going to be um, over the, sec- the next six months to, to a year. Um, and, you know, we know that f- they're going to come and scrutinise firms on things like climate risk, on operational resilience. They're going to start asking more questions around diversity and inclusion. Firms really need to be prepared to answer those questions and show that they are making the, the you know, adequate level of, of progress. And then, you know, Basel 3.1, that's going to be a big deal. Um, you know, we don't have, we haven't seen the proposals yet from the PRA, but the Basel committee rules have been out there for a number of years. Uh, you know, the PRA aren't going to stray too far away from that. So really start to think about an imp- implementation approach and what it means for, for business models. Um, you know, 2025 might seem like a little way off, but really, if you think about the significance of the package, it's, it's not that far. Okay, brilliant. Thank you, Connor. And thank you, Steph, as well. So thanks both for joining us. I mean, that's been really fascinating to hear. I I love it when we get topics where we've got kind of like public policy and regulatory policy, but UK and international levels, and then the realities of what it's feeling like on the ground and how it all links together. Sounds like lots of change coming, lots of things to stay on top of, potentially lots of opportunity for firms. uh, But equally, uh, as I think both of you said, getting it right, getting the basics right and doing what you should be doing is is equally important as well. So that's great. Really good to hear. Thank you. To our listeners, I hope you've also enjoyed this conversation. Please do subscribe to future episodes and rate and review the series as it helps other listeners to find us. We'll be back next month to talk about what the PRA has in store for insurers.